Let us pray together. Lord, we thank you for gathering us today. We thank you for the beautiful music you've provided through these high school students. And Lord, we thank you ultimately today for your love, as that's what we get to dig into. So we pray, God, that we would uh, meet your love and experience your love this morning in this place as a community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for being here today. I'm Pastor Andrew. If I haven't met many of you up here, thanks for blessing us with your music this morning. And welcome to all those online as well today. Uh, spent the last week in Arizona, as you know, and uh, it was really nice there. That's all I'm going to say. All right. Uh, we are happy to be back. Wish it was May, but we're happy to be back. Uh, and we had a good time at a conference with some other LCMC pastors uh, from our organization down there, learning about spiritual formation and how we, as the body of Christ, uh, can lean in and dig deeper and grow in our faith and not just stay in the ruts that we tend to get stuck in at certain points in our lives. So it was really encouraging for us to have that time as leaders. And um, as all these retreats we've been doing the last couple of years, we'll be looking forward to passing that on to you as well um, through our teaching and through studies and through small groups. So uh, recapping what we've been talking about in this sermon series, uh, the old, the new, and you, the Old Testament, the New Testament, how it aligns and intersects with our lives. Uh, this is about not our authority and how we interpret scripture, but it's about God's authority in scripture and how our lives are called to come under his lordship and under his authority. Uh, we have a high value in God's word here at Emmanuel, and across the Christian world, there is a high view in the scriptures and what the Bible has to say. So we've talked about monotheism, this idea that there is one God. We talked about creation and God's plan and order of creation. We talked about the fall of creation when sin entered the world in Genesis 3. We talked about how God gave the law to his people in the desert to bring clarification, to clarify what is right, what is wrong, what brings life, and what steals from life and how that clarity was needed. And then we talked about Babylon and the struggle that God's people had with this uh, ancient force, uh, the spirit of which is very much alive today. And the enemy still deceives and leads us astray in many of the same ways that we read about in the pages of the Old Testament. And then last week we talked about covenant and gospel. The covenant is God's promises breaking through in the Old Testament before Jesus came. It's God essentially saying, there is hope, there is hope, there is hope. I am with you, I will keep my promises. And then we talked about the gospel and how Jesus comes and he fulfills the hopes and the dreams of Israel on, on a far bigger scale than they ever would have thought of on their own. Jesus didn't just come to save them, he came to save the whole world. And so this week we're talking about the early church and what they believed. Uh, it's this idea of loving thy neighbor. This is the way that God's people were called to look different than the world around them, which had a hard time Sounds like the world we live in today, right? We have a love problem in our world. And so this is the ethic, this is the way of Jesus that the early church operated off of. And the same call extends to us as God's people today. And is proclaimed to us today through God's word. So let's talk about Jesus and love today. So um, I threw some glitter up there just for fun. I know we don't normally have motion backgrounds, but it's almost the 14th of February, so our culture's talking about love a lot, and this looks like February 14th to me. Uh, there seems to be no debate in Christianity that Jesus was loving, right? Many people who view Jesus as the Son of God believe that. Many who view him as just a good moral teacher would say, yes, Jesus demonstrated that love. Uh, but I would like to think the matter is settled. Uh, but the problem is, I know that for my own life, and you maybe would consider that for you too, there is a disconnect between what we know to be true about God and Jesus and his love. There's a disconnect between that 
in how we act and how we live it out. And most of us, if we're honest, we can know the right thing to do, the right thing to say, the loving way to act in a situation. And man, sometimes it's just hard to do that. Sometimes other things get in the way. And this is our reality today. This is our reality as humanity and as people in a church. It is a reflection of the broken and the sinful world that we live in. But we can move towards a better understanding of that. We can grow in our ability to receive love and to give love and to show love. And I believe we must resist the notion to look to the broken world around us to define it. So how does Jesus, how does the early church talk about love? How do they receive God's love and create an example then for us to live according to and to live by? And how can this lead us to a better understanding of the scriptures and God's love, the authority of God in scriptures when it comes to love? That's what we're digging into today. So the first scripture we heard this morning was the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke. Or that was the second scripture I think you heard. And this, this parable's come up a couple times in our sermon series over the last six to 12 months. So I'm just going to give you a summary. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, there's this teacher, this authority who approaches Jesus wanting to justify themselves and their own thoughts and their own belief system. And they say, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't answer the question. He turns it around and he tells this story about a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. And the priest, seeing this man who was beaten alongside the road, passes on the other side. His calling is too important for him to stop and help this guy who would maybe make him unclean or something. And same thing with the Levite. The Levite who is charged with taking care of God's temple, he passes by on the other side too. His calling, he thinks, is more important than the needs of this man laying next to the road. And then comes the Samaritan, the one who is viewed as unclean or lesser than by the Jewish people of that time. Here comes the Samaritan, and at great expense to his own time and his own resources, he binds the man's wounds, he takes them to, to get lodging, and he pays for it out of his own pocket. Perhaps you're familiar with that parable. They were asking Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is it that I have to love? Who is it that I'm supposed to act loving towards? And Jesus says, no. Are you acting like a good neighbor? This isn't about qualifying this or that or them or them. It's about your actions and your motives. It's about embodying and receiving Jesus' love and moving forward in that love. So following Jesus in, in God's word, it's not about an intellectual screening process on whom we interact with and whom we avoid and who we choose to give our time to. Rather, it's about being full of Christ's love and having that love spill over to any and all people that we encounter in our daily lives. It's a different way of looking at it, right? Jesus' love displayed on the cross was not for a select few people. It was for all people. That whoever would believe in him would receive the precious gift of eternal life, as we read in John 3.16. And our call is to love. It is to love as Jesus loved. Living a life of Jesus' love so that all might encounter, all who might encounter us actually might, through us, encounter who? Jesus and his love. This is the way of Jesus. This is his love. This is his kingdom. This is the Jesus way that we want to do better in engaging with in our lives and as God's people in the church. So let's move on to our John 15 text that we heard this morning. Uh, starting with verse 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. 
If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So first, Jesus receives this perfect love from his Father. He receives this perfect love because he is fully God, but he has experienced this life and this love too as fully human, and so he knows what it looks like to receive the love of the Father. He knows what it's like to receive that grace and that peace and that blessing. And then second, Jesus takes that love and he has loved us, his disciples, and all of humanity with that same perfection that he experienced and received from the Father. His whole life is an example of this. And then thirdly, this verse tells us we are to remain in that love. Not just to come and go as we please or come and go as it feels good or we need a lift. We're to remain rooted, planted, deeply rooted in the love of God. And so the question, the big question is, how do we do that, right? Is it easy to be prideful? Yeah. Is it easy to get angry? Yeah. It's really easy to get lost and to lose track of that love. So how do we remain in it? Well, Jesus goes on. Verse 10 tells us, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. So there's an if there, and that if implies what? Maybe that there's a choice in the matter, right? Maybe there's an invitation here. There's, there's this course that we can take that will allow us to live a more full, abundant life, and there's this course that we may take that will walk away from that life. So that if implies a choice. Jesus has made his commands, which are in line and consistent with his Father's commandments of the Old Testament. He's made them clear for us to follow. He spent his whole life on earth living that out and showing us what love looks like when it is lived out. And so when we take the path of leaning into Jesus' love and staying rooted in it, remaining in it, we are in his love, we're leaning into it. And when we take the path of stepping away from our faith or stepping away from the scriptures and Jesus' teachings, when we separate ourselves from God's people, we're taking the path that walks away from his love. And so these if statements in the scriptures are, are big. Because our experience of God's love seems to be directly connected to our willingness, our ability to follow out his commands and how we respond to the invitation to follow Jesus. Verse 11 continues. Jesus says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So this isn't just a conversation about love as an emotion. This is about a deeper joy, a love that produces joy. And if you're in a place right now with little joy in your life, um, I know I have been there many times. You may also be in a place where you're not embracing or thinking about God's love and the, the, the gifts that he has lavished on you. Jesus desires our joy to be made complete. He desires us to experience his love in this way. And Jesus actually really wants good things for us. If God is a good father, what good parent doesn't want good things for their child? And then in verse 12, he gives a command. And remember, we're supposed to remain in his commands, to remain in his love, right? To follow his commands. In verse 12 says, Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. Which means that our lives are to reflect his love. What he received from the father, he passed on to us. What we receive from Jesus, we are to pass on to one another, and we are called to love one another with the same determination, with the same tenacity, with the same grace and gentleness that we have been shown love through Jesus Christ himself. 
Jesus continues in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is sacrificial love. The love of God is often sacrificial, displayed sacrificially. Jesus displays this ultimately on the cross where he lays down his life for his friends. Verse 14, Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. So we are friends of Jesus, right? If we, if we know Jesus, if we are in a relationship with him, we, he calls us friends. And that friendship is linked to doing what he commands, just like his love is. That's what he tells us in this passage. Now, this isn't a salvation conversation. We get a little nervous about this sometimes. We aren't doing thing to earn, things to earn God's favor and grace. That's not what we're talking about. But this is a discipleship conversation. It is a growth conversation. It's about moving forward in God's love, not remaining stuck. And Jesus offers friendship, and he asks for obedience from his friends and his followers. Because he's talking to his friends here. This isn't a big address. This isn't the Sermon on the Mount. This isn't thousands of people gathered here listening. This is his friends, those that have already chosen to leave their life and follow him, right? So that's the context of what he's saying. That's the context of this command. And he reminds them that love and joy and friendship are linked to their willingness and desire to follow his commands. And he calls us to obedience so that we might actually have true life, just like he wanted them to have true life. And he wants it to be a fruitful life, a life that bears fruit, a life where our love that we experience flows out to the world around us. And so we are called to love each other. And, and I don't know if a scripture passage can be more clear than this. Sometimes we don't like the clear ones when they give us commands that show us how our lives are living up, right? But this is a really clear one. Let us love each other as Christ has loved us. And let that love overflow to all whom we encounter so that they too may be drawn to the amazing love of Christ through our witness, through our message, through our example. Let's move on to our First John passage. I want to spend a few minutes there too. So First John 4, this is picking up in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So we have the same thread, the same idea continued from Jesus' words, now in one of the pastoral letters of 1 John. And this idea that love comes from God. And love is made perfect and displayed and evidence in the life of Jesus Christ. And he says here, if we do not love, that also gives a testimony to our life, right? Or at least the parts of our lives that do not know and experience God's love. Now, if you're anything like me, you have some areas of your life where you feel like things are going well and you're living up to your full potential, right? And there's maybe some other areas where you need some grace and you need to experience some, some love, some transformation in your life as well. Our call is to live this full life, not to have parts of our lives that are out of bounds or off limits to what God wants to do in us and through us. Our call is to live the life full of God's love and not a life that is wanting of God's love. 
Continuing with verse 15 of 1 John 4. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So God is love. This is important too. If God himself proclaims that he is love, how could we possibly hope to know and define what that is apart from him? We're lost. Is love an emotion? Yeah, it's an emotion. Is it also a commitment? Yeah, all of you that are married know that. Is it a decision? Yeah, love can mean making a decision. Is love a sacrifice? Yeah, it's that too. Is love God himself? Yeah, that's what he tells us. So don't let yourself be deceived that because our goal and how we define and experience love should look nothing less than Jesus Christ. should look nothing less than the love that he displayed in his life. should look nothing less than the cross. Verse 17, this is how we, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So we are called to live like Jesus, like our Savior, and it starts in love, and it ends in love. And John writes here that there's no fear in love. Now, fear is like the antithesis of God's love, right? Fear is what undermines God's love. It's what undermines faith. Fear is what undermines our potential, our purposes that we discover in Jesus Christ. And our world is full of fear, right? Which is why our mission, when we know Jesus, is to love. It's to love. As we grow in Christ and his love, we will be part of a kingdom of God, a fruit that overcomes this fear in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's a world that I want to be a part of, and I hope you want to experience that too. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now, all of you with siblings know that there's a struggle here, right? But you know what? This is, this is a convicting piece of scripture this morning, too, because when the scriptures use the word command and must, I think maybe we should pay attention, right? Not because we want the law or the command to replace the gospel, but because a good father knows what is best for us. And he knows that us loving our brothers and our sisters, those in blood and those in our world and community around us, he knows that that's what's best for us. It's going to keep us from the darkness. And so our love for each other will be evidenced to where we're at. And this is one of the issues, this is one of the big ways that a, a church's influence can be undermined, is if they aren't even loving towards each other in the church, how are they possibly going to show that love to the world around them? It's one of the biggest criticisms against the Christian church. Our love for each other is going to be evidence where we're at, right? And loving each other and our neighbors, here's a big thing, it's not an option. It's not a choose-your-own-adventure story. You don't get to wake up in the morning and say, should I choose Jesus' plan to love others or Jesus' plan to not love others? Because that one doesn't exist. It's Jesus' imperative. 
It's the bar. It is the standard. It is the gold standard. It is the greatest witness that we have as a people of God that we love those whom love us and that we love those who hate us and that we love those who don't even know us and we love those who spite us and who oppose us and those who injure us and we love those people that contradict us, those who vote differently than us and those whose lives are far from God. You show me a person that you don't have to love and I will show you the cross where Jesus showed his love for everyone through his death, through the ultimate sacrifice. And then he showed us how big God's love is in the resurrection and invites us to follow into everlasting life. So you show me that person that is not called to love and I will show you the same person who Jesus loves with all his heart and wants to be in relationship with that person. And he desires your love to contribute towards that witness. Friends, the bar is love. That, that's our standard here. The bar for us as Christians, it's not intellect, it's not good works, it's not the ability to articulate good theology, although that's important too. It's not anything else. The bar is love. Is it loving to gossip about people? No, it's not. But it might be loving to sit down with them and show them that they are worth your time and to come to a better understanding with them. It is loving to pray for that person that gets under your skin. Now, is it loving to make nasty comments on social media? No. Whether it's your next-door neighbor or a government leader, whether it's audible or out loud in your head or typed out, whether it's spoken or posted online, none of that is love. But choosing to be silent might be love. Choosing not to respond when you're angry, that might be loving. Choosing to bless somebody instead of persecute them, that might be loving. Choosing to affirm that somebody is a child of God rather than tear them down. That's the kind of love we're talking about. You know what? Condemning someone due to their sin, that's not loving. We don't have the judgment seat to condemn anybody. But being truthful about sin is love. But if someone has not experienced God's love or if they don't know Jesus Christ or if they don't have that worldview, our goal is not to go out of our way and condemn them. Our goal is to show them the love of Jesus Christ as we have been shown the love of Christ, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Our goal is to listen. It is to pray. It is to show them kindness and love and pray that God might even use us to show them the love of Christ. I feel like there's a lot of history that needs to be undone in how the church moves forward today. But the good news is that there's grace and there's forgiveness in all the areas where we haven't measured up to this love. Because that's how big God's love is. It meets us where we're at. It meets us in the mess. Jesus' life is evidence to this. The gospel message is evidence to this. The early church's devotion to this set-apart way of life where they were going to love their neighbor rather than persecute or wall off themselves from their neighbors, that's a witness to this as well. And so as we continue in life, as we continue in this sermon series, this journey, well, we'll we're going to get into some harder topics in the coming weeks. Remember that the conversation, it starts with love, the love of God, the love of Christ, and it ends with the love of God, the love of Christ. It starts and it ends with the grace of God. It starts and ends with the example of Jesus himself, who ate with sinners, who healed the sick, who hung out with the cheaters and the tax collectors, and he died for every single one of them. 
This is the foundation that we enter into. This is the foundation that we stand firmly on as we discuss things that really divide our world in the coming weeks. Friends, the bar is love. And Jesus' love is enough for you. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, we, we confess to you that the love that we try to emulate or live by does not live up to the love that we have been shown through Christ Jesus. And Lord, we pray simply this morning that the love that we get to experience by the grace of God would transform us and would cause us to go in a different direction. Lord, teach us the way of love. Teach us the way of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.